0: Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Beloved, as we continue on in our series of Proverbs, I invite you to turn in in your Bibles to Proverbs 14, as we read verse 29. Let's hear God's Word. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Now let's turn to Proverbs 29, and we'll read verse 11 and verse 22 Proverbs 29:11 A fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back and then 29:22 A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your powerful word. We thank you for how your word renews our minds and changes our lives and shapes our hearts. So as we hear your word today, Father, we pray that you would do a mighty work through your word and by your spirit, that we would exalt Christ and that we would be changed. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, through our study on the way of wisdom through the book of Proverbs, we have seen that Proverbs teaches us that a flourishing life, a well-tuned life, is found in acting wisely. And acting wisely means living wisely biblically. And the book of Proverbs sets in stark contrast between the way of the wise, which leads to life, and the road that leads to folly and destruction. And it invites us to consider which road we will take or which road we are on and where our choices might lead us. And Proverbs seems to suggest that the road to folly is a wide lane, heavily trafficked as people follow the way of the world. But the road of wisdom to living life as it was meant to be is much more narrow, with fewer travelers on it. To quote Robert Frost, two roads diverged in a wood and I... I took the one less traveled, and that made all the difference. And Proverbs encourages us us to do that, to take the road less traveled, for it makes all the difference. And today's topic from Proverbs focuses on an area of life that has two very distinct paths. It's the issue of anger. And Proverbs illuminates for us that such a common emotion can have dire, long-lasting consequences if we don't go down the right path. And as we will see, Scripture teaches us that we need to learn the way of wisdom in expressing our anger wisely. And just from the representative verses from Proverbs that we have read, from chapters 14 and 29, we see that Proverbs sounds the alarm regarding how we express our anger. The wise are slow to anger. The wise put up guardrails around their anger. But the foolish are those who are quick to express their full-blown rage and angst. So Proverbs sends out a warning signal. Be careful. Do not become a person dominated by anger. It warns us that against living a life where your anger defines you, where your anger is your identity, such a life characterized by dominating anger is the way of the fool. These warnings about embracing an angry disposition are not only seen in these verses, but they are a consistent theme throughout Proverbs. At the back of your bulletin are listed a series of verses from Proverbs dealing with anger. And when we read them, we see that a life defined by an angry heart is foolish. And it's foolish Because a life characterized by anger is harmful. It's harmful not only to those who are at the brunt of someone's anger, but it is also harmful to those who express unchecked anger. So today, let's focus first on harmful anger. Looking at our list of verses, we see that Proverbs 14:17 mirrors the verses that we've already read in that it stresses that a person with a short fuse does foolish things, and that a man of evil devices is hated. Why is an angry person foolish? Well, both Proverbs 29:22 and Proverbs 15:18 tells us. The angry person can be like a bull in a china shop, smashing everything around him, wreaking havoc. A hot-tempered person is like a tornado touching down, stirring up strife. He stirs up a tempest swirling all around him of division and discord, leaving a path of destruction in his wake. There is the potential when hot anger is unleashed of a scorched earth policy that leaves disaster in its wake. So the ripple effect of such anger is much transgression. And in contrast, Proverbs 15:18 points out, a wise person is slow to anger. And where there is conflict, the wise person is able to lower the emotional temperature in the room by a few degrees. Why else is an angry person foolish? Well, his anger not only wreaks havoc... But as Proverbs 19.19 points out, the rageaholic is a repeat offender. Their life is marked by an ongoing pattern of erupting anger, and Proverbs cautions that if you bail him out once from the consequences of his anger, you will only need to do it again and again and again. The angry person may later regret his harsh words, They may feel shame at having acted so impulsively, so out of control of themselves, and yet a person whose life is dominated by anger will only do it again and again, rinse and repeat. A life driven by harmful anger is foolish because such a life is a train wreck waiting to happen as it leaves as it leaves in its path wounded hearts and wrecked relationships the results of a life dominated by anger can be devastating And we have seen on a global scale the horrific offense of deep hostility this past week with the terrorism unleashed on the nation of Israel by hate filled Hamas attacking innocent people with such intense barbaric butchery. Now that cruelty is writ large on the world stage. How about something more down home? Personal. I have seen the harm done by angry people in counseling men whose parent had anger that was abusive. We've heard the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, brothers and sisters, we know that that just isn't true at all. I have heard the stories of men who repeat in their minds the warped soundtrack they heard in their home growing up. The same song in their head plays over and over and over again like a broken record. The words said by a parent whose life was marked by anger You're stupid. You're ugly. You're good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. And their angry words leave an invisible mark on their souls. A deep scar that can last for years. And it takes the gospel to heal it. And anger is also harmful and abusive when it is used to threaten and intimidate as a way of controlling someone to keep them cowering and in line. You better do what I say, or you're gonna pay for it. What else is a life dominated by anger? How else is it foolish? Or well, Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four, twenty-five 24, 25 warns us that a life marked by anger is contagious. The Proverb says Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest what? Why? You learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. How often is it that a person growing up in a home dominated by an angry parent then repeats the same behavior in adulthood? A life ruled by anger is foolish. And we have seen why, by the harm it can bring. Proverbs illuminates some of the results of harmful anger. And having considered some of the results, now let's turn our attention to the root of anger. David Pallison, in his book, Good and Angry, gets to the heart, to the root of anger. He writes, at its core, anger is very simple, It expresses, I'm against that. It is an active stance where you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something, you size it up, and you say, that matters to me, and it's not right. You encounter something that crosses the line. Anger expresses the energy of your reaction to something you find Offensive and wish to eliminate. What is anger? Pallison states succinctly it's the way we react when something we think important is not the way it's supposed to be. We get upset when our expectations are not met, when somebody stands in the way of what we want, when things don't go the way we think they should, and what happens? We get mad. And James 4, 1 and 2 states very bluntly what is at the root of foolish, harmful anger. James writes, what causes quarrels and what what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. What is James saying here? Well, Pallison unpacks what James is teaching when he writes, anger goes wrong when you get godlike. Your desires become divine law. Poke your way into every example of bad anger and you'll find God playing. Whether I'm really ticked off, just a little irritated, or deeply embittered, it's all about almighty me. My will be done. There is also a judicial element to anger. When we are mad at someone for an offense against us, we make a value judgment in which we figuratively take them to court. A court in which we are prosecutor, witness, judge, and jury all rolled into one. And we say, that's not fair. You're an idiot. And we slam down the gravel and pronounce them guilty as charged. And yet, when we judge others in self-righteous anger, Scripture warns us that we ourselves come under judgment. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches this, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard it said, To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And Jesus is rightly interpreting the sixth commandment, do not murder. Murder is is against God's law because in the taking of innocent life, you are destroying someone who is made in the image of God. And Jesus was addressing the Pharisees of his day who could so narrowly interpret the implications of the law that they could say, I am so Righteous because I fulfill the law because I've never murdered anyone. But Jesus gets to the heart of the law and says, basically, there are other ways to murder someone. You can murder someone in your heart by calling them stupid, fool idiot, by cursing them, by belittling them, by diminishing them in their character and in their humanity. And in doing so, you have pronounced judgment on them, and you have deemed them as worthless. And in your judgment, you have basically said, you were not created in God's image. So in your anger, you have murdered another person made in the image of God. And beloved, I can tell you that driving around the Baltimore Beltway for many years, I have murdered many a person in my heart. <laughs> but these passages show us the seriousness of harmful anger. How at the root we make ourselves little gods. We feel entitled entitled and demanding and act self-righteously. We have seen the results of harmful anger and its root. Now let's consider the range of harmful anger. And harmful anger can take many forms. It comes in all styles and shapes and sizes and flavors and colors. Here are a few. There's simmering anger that is always boiling under the surface, A person is like a tea kettle that is always letting off steam, complaining, grumbling, grousing, gossiping. Then there's explosive anger where you can pop off in a rage at any moment like Mount St. Helens. And, beloved, living with such an angry person can be difficult. What can it be like? Well, you can find yourself walking on eggshells every day, wondering when they might explode next. You're wondering, will this tick them off? If I make the wrong choice, am I going to pay for it later? Their anger is unpredictable and it's nerve wracking to live in such tension. But then there's also icy anger the angry person who is like an iceberg. Stone, cold, silent, uncommunicative, and immovable, and dangerous to get near. And you are like the Titanic if you get too close. Like marriages that are on the rocks where one spouse gives the other a long, slow, silent treatment in their anger. It reminds me of Proverbs eighteen nineteen. a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. The Proverbs speaks to how anger can build up walls of resentment brick by brick, stone by stone in a relationship with every offense and with every slight. And in hurting relationships, we pull up the drawbridge and we don't let anyone in. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And anger tightly held can grow like a weed choking out relationships. And it's difficult to uproot. Even after forgiveness has been asked and extended People in conflict can often go back and rehearse the very grievances and offenses that they had previously laid to rest. They're like weeds in my front yard. I I think I pulled them out only for them to grow back a few weeks later. And such is the nature of bitterness it has deep roots. And so it is that anger leads to bitterness, and anger that leads to bitterness is an enslaving emotion. It's an enslaving emotion. Ed Welch points this out in his book on anger when he writes, anger might feel powerful, but it's not. It renders you a servant of the one who hurt you, In other words, that person who has hurt you lives rent-free in your head. And they own you as you dwell on the offenses that they have committed against you and as you replay them over and over and over again in your heart and in your mind. It is another way that anger can be harmful. But that's only one half of the story about anger. Scripture teaches that there are two kinds of anger. We have looked at one, harmful anger. Let's change gears now and consider the other. On the one hand, Scripture warns against harmful anger through Proverbs. But when we turn to Ephesians 4.26, Paul tells us what? Paul tells us in 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Be angry? What? What does that mean? Well, how can that be? Well, Paul is quoting Psalm 4.4, Psalm of David, be angry and do not sin. Well, what does that mean? It means that anger in and of itself, isn't inherently wrong just because we express it foolishly. Anger should be the natural response to evil and injustice. One commentator makes this interesting point. What if we never got angry? What would that say about us? What if we could see Jesus trivialized, the gospel denied, people oppressed, women degraded, children abused, lies popularized, injustice strengthened? What if we looked at all of that and felt nothing? How dead would we be inside? There is an anger that is justified. There are circumstances when anger is the appropriate and the right response, the taking of innocent life when someone is abused or mistreated or taken advantage of. As Pallison writes, anger is the fighting emotion. Anger is the justice emotion. Anger is the delivered, the oppressed from evil motion. And it stems from the love of the needy. As one commentator points out, there are two kinds of anger. That anger that is truly Christian and helps others, and the anger that just fumes and rages and points the finger and scolds. Christian indignation feels grief. It feels grief when it counters anything that denies Christ or degrades people. It is set apart from selfish fury. And yet we see how scripture cautions us even in our expression of justifiable anger. We are to be suspicious or even of even our righteous indignation. Because Paul warns us anger has guardrails. Anger has limits. Paul gives a qualifier to our anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. How easy is it for us, for our justifiable anger, to cross that yellow double line and be tainted by self-righteousness, or skewered by a desire to retaliate or treat the offender in kind as if two wrongs could make a right. And he lists the limits. He gives us some guardrails to keep us on track in verses 26 and 27. Do not let your son, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't cuddle with your anger and let it linger, for it might fester and grow into bitterness. Rather, we are to deal with it swiftly and, if at all possible, to seek reconciliation with those who have hurt us. And then there's another limitation. Do not give the devil an opportunity. In other words, you might be tempted to express your anger in such a way that you yourself become unjust in your effort to fight injustice. As Paulson writes, it's possible to be right about what's wrong, but wrong in your way of being right. It's why in the same chapter, Paul writes in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul says, be careful. The holy anger that you have against offenses and sin in the world and sin in your heart and injustice can so easily devolve into harmful anger, which is echoed by James in the first chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Paul instructs us, be angry, but do not sin. It's difficult for us not to cross that fine line between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, as John Stott says, Who can be angry and not sin? Who can be angry and not sin? Well, there was one person who could and did. And because he did, he makes all the difference for us. The Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry demonstrated anger, a holy anger, a pure, undefiled anger. For example, in John 2, Jesus drove out the merchants out of the temple in righteous anger because they were were defiling his father's house. And in chapter 10, verse 14, Mark records that Jesus became indignant at his disciples when they tried to keep children away from receiving his blessing. Jesus was a living embodiment of what Pallison says about anger. Anger is the deliver the oppressed from evil emotion. It stems from the love of the needy. And Jesus, Jesus was good and angry. Jesus had a holy anger against our harmful anger, an anger born out of love that said, I want to free you from the condemnation you deserve for your hateful, harmful anger towards others. And our harmful anger was worthy of the full wrath of a holy God. After all, which one of us could stand up to God's pure justice and say, you know... I'm a good person. I'm worthy of eternal life in heaven because of my exemplary life. How could we face a just judge when we have cursed someone in anger and in cursing someone? It was akin to murdering them. That is the depth of our sin and the serious ramifications of it. For the wages of sin is death both physical and spiritual as Paul writes in Romans 6.23. And we would all, all stand condemned and we would all experience the just anger of a holy God, His wrath for all eternity, for all eternity, but for this, Psalm 103 tells us that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. No, instead, our Heavenly Father sent his very own Son Out of his mercy and out of his grace, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to inhabit our flesh and to live a perfect life so as to be a perfect substitute for us. The Lord Jesus taking upon himself the full wrath of his own righteous anger, experiencing on the cross the judgment that we deserved for all of our unrighteous anger. So that we could affirm with joy, beloved, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And if you have placed your faith in Christ and what he has done for you on the cross, what does Scripture say? 1 Corinthians 5, 17. What has happened to you? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. And in our identity, where we are united to Christ, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that we are to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. So, beloved, what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, if you have a problem with harmful anger, you are never stuck. You are never stuck in a pattern of expressing it. In Christ, you have become a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And in this new life, you have in Christ, you have His Word to renew your mind. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to change you to do what seems unnatural and uncommon to you. You can be your new, authentic self. For after all, what is the fruit of the Spirit? But the opposite of harmful anger, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As your life is dominated more and more by the Holy Spirit, you will be able to live wisely controlling your anger, reining it in. You will become more like our Heavenly Father, slow to anger and abounding in love. Your anger will not be used as a weapon against others to harm them, but rather your anger can be a positive, redeeming anger. You can be good and angry, angry about the things that that the Lord cares about injustice and sin in the world. And being angry about injustice is a part of who we are as being made in the image of God. We have built into our spiritual DNA a sense of what is right and wrong, being made in the image of God. We have His law written on our hearts. We have an intuitive sense of what is fair and just. And having a redeemed nature, being in Christ, we have a heart tuned to the melody of God's righteousness. We see injustice more clearly, and Scripture gives us a framework for what is right and true and good. And so it matters to you. It matters to you. And when you are treated unjustly as a Christian because you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling in you, you are able to respond as Jesus did for when he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly, according to 1 Peter two twenty three. When we are mistreated, Paul instructs us how to respond, not in harmful anger, but according to Romans 12. We are to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all beloved, never avenge yourselves. How is that possible? We can. Because we can entrust our situation to the Lord, we can leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, we are to love our enemies. As Paul writes, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Loving your enemy, it sounds impossible, yes, and in our own strength, it is. Which is why we need the power of Christ to do what we cannot do and would not do in our former way of life. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And because of that reality, we are able to live out what Paul tells us in Colossians 3. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This morning we have seen the difference between living wisely and living foolishly regarding our anger. How does the word challenge you? How might the Lord be instructing you through his word to change by what we have heard from his word today? Is there anyone that you need to ask forgiveness of for your harmful anger? And we can rejoice this morning. We can rejoice that our Heavenly Father did not leave us in our sin, in the sin of our harmful anger, but in his anger against sin. His pure wrath was instead placed upon his sinless Son, whose death paid the penalty for all of our harmful anger, so that we can be free, declared not guilty because of what Christ has done. Let's pray together. O gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done for us and not allowing our harmful anger to send us to hell for all eternity, but instead that you have sent your own Son to die for us who took upon himself the just judgment and, and wrath that we deserved for us, for our sin. And Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts Lord, that we would take these words to heart in the ways that we interact with one another, with our family, with our friends, co-workers throughout this week and in the days ahead. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.